0: Today's scripture reading is taken from various places all over the book of Proverbs. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter of separates close friends. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Faithful are wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. You may be seated.
1: Well, I would like to add my introduction. I'm Heath. I'm part of the team here. Uh, before we get going, I really feel compelled to, to open in prayer. God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity on this drizzly, rainy day to be inside and to be hearing from your word. It's exciting. So, Lord, I ask that uh, we would seek after what you have to say with, for us as treasure, as silver, as gold. So, Lord, in that, I pray that, uh, that not my words would be heard, but yours. In your name I pray. Amen. So I have a really kind of nerdy confession to make. I like survival stories. Um, Even so much as a kid, I grew up in kind of the backwoods of Alberta, and I would go out and, you know, practice my survival skills and all of these, you know, winter camping in minus 20 is not cool. But anyway, um, our entertainment even revolves around this theme. So as a family, uh, we like movies, we like stories, we like memoirs of explorers, you know, great epics of man versus nature. So in the year 2000, I realized some of you were not born at that point, but in the year 2000, there was a movie that came out. Now, disclaimer. Normally I wouldn't use a movie that old as a movie or as a sermon illustration, but bear with me. It's it's good. So the title of the movie was Castaway. And it starred Tom Hanks. And it told the story of a FedEx employee who was in a plane crash and he was marooned on a desert island in the South Pacific. Now, Mariko and I we're so excited. So we walk to the D V D store, if you can remember what those are, and we pick up our copy, we plug it in, the thing, we grab a bowl of popcorn, and we're ready to watch this epic one hundred and forty-three minute Man versus Nature. Now, it wasn't quite what I was expecting. You know, I didn't realize that Tom suffered and survived mostly in silence, and so any gap in silence, my wife and her sister made up the verbal, you know, difference. So anyway, instead of an action-packed adventure story of man versus wild, what I saw was an existential struggle of man versus his mind. Now, if you've seen the movie, you know, and in an effort to survive, an effort to cope with the drudgery of island living, Tom enters into a relationship, an intimate relationship with a volleyball, of all things. So, so he names this volleyball Wilson. And so, Wilson helps out Tom with every aspect of island life, whether it's gathering food, firewood, building the fire, if you, you can imagine that. You know, Wilson even helps Tom pull an abscess tooth. So, the whole story is about Tom and Wilson. And, and, and you get to the end, Wilson even helps Tom build a raft to escape. So, the heart-wrenching wrenching climax of this movie is they're on a raft together, and they're, they're in a storm, and it's going like crazy, and Wilson falls overboard. Tom wakes up from a nap and he realizes that Wilson's floating away. So he jumps in, grabbing a hold of the rope that holds him to the raft and he's swimming, he's swimming and he, in the water right there, has to realize, oh no, I have to choose between Wilson and my freedom. So in the water we hear, the climax we hear, Wilson! You know, if you see the movie, Wilson, I'm sorry! The scene ends with Tom weeping on the raft grieving his lost friend Tom Hanks is probably the only actor in existence who can make you cry over a volleyball (laughs) this story highlights a basic fundamental human need and that is to be known by others and to know others simply put friendship C.S. Lewis in his book the four loves describes this need this way he says friendship is unnecessary Like philosophy, like art. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things that gives value to survival. And as weird and as crazy as this story is of Tom and of Wilson, it highlights the fundamental need that we have of being in a relationship with somebody else. Tom's relationship with Wilson gave value to his survival on that island. So for us today, this afternoon, in, you know, late August... 2019, friendship gives value to our day-to-day drudgery in Vancouver. On a rainy day like this, friendship is what gets you out of bed. So if friendship is this important, if this is true, then why are we so lonely? If we believe that friendships improve our quality of life, why do we not foster? Why do we not grow this as a society? Why does Vancouver have a reputation of being an unfriendly, and lonely city. This is a huge topic for us today. Listen to what a recent psychologist said in a global news article. Loneliness is a major health risk, like obesity or smoking, and public health programs should address it in the same way. That's a bold statement. So, in order for us to understand, we don't actually need public health services, what we need to, is to look back to an ancient book of Proverbs. And see what it says about friendship. We need to once again hear the wisdom that Proverbs teaches us about true friendship and what it really is. See, because this story of Tom and Wilson is crucial, it it tells us that friendship is the cure to loneliness. Friendship, in the depths of our loneliness, is the answer. And Proverbs gives us solutions. So this afternoon, we're going to look at what Proverbs teaches us about the characteristics of a true friend... The vulnerability of friendship. And lastly, how friendship can be rekindled, or in the case of Vancouver, actually recreated. So Before we get there, we need a prologue. You know, I like to read books. So at the beginning of a good fantasy novel, you've got this map, right? We need a, we need a map that kind of addresses uh, how, to, how to walk to, to kind of get our bearings. So we need to understand one simple fact. This, this word friendship in, in Proverbs is exactly the same he, Hebrew word for neighbor. Translated, it's exactly the same thing. So, the only difference is, one is a relational proximity, emotional connection, the other is a physical proximity. It's the same word. And, and it's nuanced all the way throughout the book of Proverbs. So, wisdom in and righteousness in Proverbs... Is defined as skill in relationship. So therefore, we need to understand that both of these are important, friend and neighbor. So to clarify, a friend has an emotional relational bond, and a neighbor is someone that has a physical relational bond. Okay. Are you guys with me? Okay. So then to utilize our rubric that we've been working through about wisdom and righteousness in Proverbs, I suggest to you this afternoon that a righteous or wise friend or neighbor, is one who disadvantages him or herself to the advantage of others. Therefore, a foolish or a wicked friend, or neighbor, is one who advantages him or herself to the disadvantage of the other. So with this map in our minds, let's proceed. Turn with me to Proverbs 27, chapter 10. Chapter 10, 27, verse 10. Sorry, I'd like to see you've gone there. That would have been interesting. 27, 10. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother 's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away proverbs eighteen twenty four says a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother twenty verse six says many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find seventeen seventeen says a friend Loves at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. Probably the most important characteristic of a friend in Proverbs is loyalty. Now, I have a friend. Currently, I I got some texts as we were singing. He's cursing Vancouver because he's riding his motorcycle through Vancouver to go to the island right now. So, this friend, I've known him since I was three years old. Probably, if you have a category of a best friend, this is him. And every few years, we do something stupid and crazy. So a couple years ago, we decided, oh, it would be really cool in June to drive or ride our motorcycles all the way from here, all the way to San Antonio, Texas. Hello, saddle sores. Anyway, so we 5,000 kilometers, we get to San Antonio and we're in this kind of Tex-Mex restaurant, probably having the best, you know, fajita I've ever had in my life. And I look over and my buddy's, he's weeping. And I'm like, dude, like, are you all right? He says, Well, thanks so much, man. I'm like, I didn't buy your gas. Like, what are you thanking me for? Thank you for being my friend. He says, you've stuck through me, with me, in the thick and the thin. You've been beside me when I've done stupid things and when I've done amazing things. You were with me when my dad died. And you're with me when my kid is having problems. Thank you for accepting me for who I am. See, a loyal friend. Is one who knows all your ugly bits. One who knows how to wound you. But protects you instead. One who has your back. A consistent friend is one who chooses you. One who says, no matter what you're going through, I'm going to stand right beside you, shoulder to shoulder, and be there for you. A loyal friend is one who trusts, one who forgives, and one who accepts Ray Ortlund, he's a pastor in Nashville, Tennessee. He describes this characteristic of friendship in this way. He says, a true friend knows who you really are and does not walk away. That's powerful. A loyal friend is not a fair weather friend. Nor is he or she, he or she is one who knows you intimately. One who is consistent with you, stays with you despite your flaws. A real friend is sacrificial in his dealings with you. The next characteristic of a good friend is one who is tactful. Proverbs twenty five seventeen says, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Now, living in Greece for uh, as long as we did, you know, Greece is a crazy and wonderful place. But, you know, you always had a revolving door of visitors. So we had this kind of family parable or proverb that we would say all the time. Visitors are like fish. They begin to stink after a couple of days. So you get the idea. This proverb says that a real friend doesn't overstay their welcome. Proverbs 25.20 says, Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. That's a mental image, isn't it? Proverbs 27.14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Uh, ask my wife about that one. Anyway, these, these proverbs explain that the state of a real friend, he, he speaks tactfully to you, the right words at the right time, accompanied with the appropriate emotions. Proverbs 26, 18 to 19 says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and then says, I'm only joking. This is a hard one I struggle with. I tend to, I love a good joke, and I tend to push way too far. Um, I'd like to say I'm getting better, but probably not. Not overstaying your welcome, having the right words at the right time, and, and knowing when a joke has gone too far, these are actions and speech that's tactful. A true friend is not only loyal, not only having your back, but he or she loves you. He or she is tactful and respects you in every single day-to-day interactions. The last characteristic of a wise and true friend is one that provides you with good counsel. Solid advice, even if it's difficult to hear. Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 9 says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Twenty seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Now, my wife teases me all the time. She says that I really only have one hobby. And that's in the collecting of hobbies. So one of the hobbies that I do have that's collected is blacksmithing. There's something amazingly tangible and satisfying of taking this really ugly piece of steel, shoving it in a furnace, getting it super red hot, and then just beating on it to create whatever's in your mind with a hammer. There's just, I don't know, something tangible. That's not what this proverb is talking about. This proverb is talking about whitesmithing. That's what happens after blacksmithing. Whitesmithing is a technical name for stock removal. You know, you, in blacksmithing, you create the shape. In whitesmithing, you finish the shape. You cut off little bits. You got to use your file or some sandpaper, you know, starting from really heavy grit up to finer. And it's the process, if you're making a knife, for instance, it's the process of shaping, sharpening, honing, and polishing. It's, it's, it's I have to say, It's boring. It's the most boring part of the job because it takes hours to do. I can't tell you how many unfinished projects I have at this stage. Let me tell you, I found out real fast when I had to move into the city here. It has to be a really special piece for me to take the time to sharpen it, to hone it, and to polish it. These proverbs say that a true friend is one who sees your potential, one who sees your value, and is willing to take the time and the effort. To sharpen you. To take that sandpaper to you. This isn't easy to receive people. Because in order for us to be sharpened, honed, and polished, parts of us have to be removed. Things that we may not even see. In Proverbs, a wise, true friend confronts you on your blind spots and helps you grow. Good counsel in Proverbs isn't just being isn't just about good decision making. It's about shaping. It's about honing. It's about polishing. Making a really ugly piece of steel into an absolute beautiful piece of art. So a wise friend in Proverbs, therefore, is one who's loyal, one who's tactful, one and stemming from that, one who loves you enough to give you good counsel, even when it's hard to hear. A righteous friend, therefore, is one who takes at the risk. And disadvantages themselves to advantage you. Proverbs 26 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Question for you guys. Do you guys have friends in your lives that exhibit these characteristics? So we've looked at what Proverbs articulates as uh, what a true and wise friend is. Now we must turn to how it all can go wrong. We must address the vulnerability of friendship. Interesting, like in life, you know, you know, sometimes your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness. This is the same way with friendship. The greatest strength is, is loyalty. The greatest weakness is betrayal. A true friendship is susceptible to betrayal. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, Whoever covers an offense seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Proverbs 16.28 says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Now, I have many friends that I consider loyal and true, but I'm not really immune to betrayal, just like you guys are. When I was 18 years old, I went to teach canoeing and kayaking at a summer camp on the west coast on Quadra Island. and It was great. My bunk mate was a Greek guy, And we became fast and furious friends. You know, we laughed at each other's jokes. We played jokes on each other. And we cried on each other's shoulders, you know, with relational problems. Yeah, I was 18. What can I say? As Charles Dickens says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And we kept in touch all of those years after that. So 13 years later, in a crazy and weird story, it's because of this guy, I moved my whole family to Greece. So... Being part of this organization that my friend was with, they had what they called the buddy system. So if you're new, imagine some of you who have moved to Canada can get this, right? So if you move to another country, you don't speak the language, you need help, don't you? So you need help with how to set up a bank account, how to buy a car, how to get, pay your rent, how to, which line to stand in for you know, getting your like, social insurance number. So we had what they called the buddy system. Easy peasy, no problem. Everything was good, and my friend, because he was my friend, was naturally my buddy so everything was great for about a year and then the, then it all went kind of south um a 19 year a new 19 year old guy was touted to be uh, my boss's executive assistant and i liked this guy but i was afraid that if he was become my boss i would be jealous and i probably would have a hard time with that so so Being my friend, I had him over and and I sat him down and we had coffee and I confessed, look, I'm going to have problems with this. I need you to be praying for me that I just keep it all together and that my heart would be in the right place. So that was the protocol. That's what I was supposed to do. And I did it. I thought the buddy system was a confidential kind of private friends, helping friends, friends, praying for friends, friends, having each other's back. Yeah, I was a little wrong in that assumption. But a week later, I get a call from my boss Inviting me for out for coffee. And I'm thinking, this is kind of cool. It's been a year. I haven't had coffee with the guy yet. I'm, I'm okay with that. So it's typical. I show up early and I'm in my second Greek coffee by the time he shows up. And he gets out of the car and he's got somebody else with him. And I'm like, oh, I should have realized then. So he sits down after the regular greetings. And he says right out of the gate, he says, look, I'm going to cut to the chase here, Heath. Um, I hear you have serious problems with so-and-so, the 19-year-old. And we're here to sort that out little piece of me died right there. What followed was a stripping of ministerial duty. Uh, I was put on like a ministerial probation. <laughs> and finally, the words that, that are still difficult to hear and say out loud. In reality, Heath, we're tired of all your ideas. Our ministry is fine. All we want you to do is just to shut up and do as you're told. These were not the faithful words of a friend. I sat there pretty much catatonic. My heart bled out realizing that my friendship died that day. In that moment, I realized the true nature of my friend's betrayal. Not only did he not have my confidence, he didn't have my back. And when I needed him the most, he was worried about managing my behavior rather than speaking faithful words to me. Things never really recovered after that point, and I left the organization two years later, broken, angry, and depressed. Now, lest I feel tempted and feel sorry for myself, I realize that this experience is not unique to me. We, if we have been vulnerable, we're all carrying the scars of betrayal. We all have, you know, friendship PTSD, don't we? We've, we've, been, we've had broken and marred family relationships, friendship levels. Betrayal is real. It kills. It prevents us from trusting. It prevents us from moving forward. We're lonely because we we guard against that. We're, We're lonely because we distance ourselves from the vulnerability that's required for true friendship. We're afraid of what? Being hurt again. We're afraid to trust. Betrayal is a burden. Betrayal is like a heavy cloak that's just difficult to wear on a hot day. My friend, for his advantage disadvantaged me. And that was betrayal. The other significant vulnerability to friendship is in the area of our finances. Put another way, materialism weakens the bonds of friendship. Proverbs has a lot to say about this, but here's a few of them. Proverbs three twenty-seven and 28. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it to you when, I have, when you have it with you. 14, 21 and 22 say, The poor is disliked even by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 19, 4, 6 and 7. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend of a man who gives gifts. All of a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but he does not have them. Man, talk about a Debbie Downer. These proverbs display the raw power and lure of materialism over friendship. Now, as I stated earlier, I I like books. And I had this one special book. It was given to me by a mentor of mine, and it had his kind of annotations in it. And over the years, I had annotated him myself. And in Greece, when you're there, um, English books are hard to find. So my friend, he phones me and says, I'm doing a class on spiritual disciplines. That's what the book is about. And I know you have this book. Can I borrow it? And I'm like, ooh. In that moment, and it took me like... It actually, I said, no, I have to call you back. It, it took me about a week, and I had to decide which was more valuable, my book or my friend. I lent him the book, and I haven't seen it since. <laughs> but that's good. I have a couple of friends that are going into business together, and, uh, and I have some concerns. I'm not a businessman, but I can see a train wreck coming. And so I, I, I pulled over aside one of my friends, and a couple weeks ago, I said, look, man, like... This is not going to end well. And my my friend says to me these words. He says, I'm not investing anything I'm not willing to lose. That's a friend. Money and our bent towards materialism puts itself at odds with true friendship. Our materialism, our desire for stuff and all the comfort that goes with it almost forces us to disadvantage others for our gain. It separates, it isolates. And the loser in this all scenario is friendship, real friendship. Proverbs tells us that true friendship is in the self-sacrifice. Our financial loss for the benefit of others. That's a hard one to hear. Materialism combined with betrayal is a death knell to friendship. That is why Vancouver is so lonely. This is why many of us struggle to find and to keep friends. Betrayal and materialism keeps us isolated, frozen in cryo chambers. We try to freeze out all of the friendships that we have through entertainment and busyness. But it actually gets worse. We also build and create false friends. Ironically, we're just like the movie. We are just like Tom Hanks and Castaway. We build our own Wilsons to help us survive. First one is an obvious choice. We turn to social media. We think that a carefully curated Instagram story is actually a substitute for intimacy. The fact that, you know, on Facebook, when you get this like heart-wrenching story, and it's just you're gripped and you're moved, and then at the bottom, you're duped, and it says, if you're my real friend, you'll send this to 834 others. And you're like, no, it's irritating. That's not real Friendship. We have to realize and and understand the limitations of social media. Binary code cannot replace physical friendship. I'll repeat it again. Binary code cannot replace physical friendship. We know this is true, but we fall for it every single day. Now, a Facebook thumbs up does not sit with you when your best friend has just died. A cleverly curated Instagram story isn't really that cool when you're broke down in your car on the side of the road and you actually have to call somebody to give you a ride. Social media is not our friend. It's a tool. The next Wilson we create is with our pets. Now, some of you just bristled right there. I know there's a saying that says a dog is man's best friend, but I think that was coined by somebody who really never had a best friend. So look, I, I, am, I am like from hillbilly stock, so I'm close enough I have a, to have a great-grandfather who had a pet bear, okay? This is the first time in our lives that we have not had a pet. I've had dogs, I've had cats, I've had squirrels, I've had whatever. I, I love animals, okay? So hear me on this. Your dog is not your best friend. Your dog, your pet is not your friend. The other day, I'm at the corner of Nanaimo and Hastings. And I see this guy jog up and he's like wearing Lululemon. I'm thinking, dude, I can't pull that off. Like hands down, I'm not worthy. And he's a young guy and he's pushing a baby stroller. And I'm thinking, this is cool. Out for a pro dad move, out for a jog with the baby. So I'm, I'm like, cool. So we're both waiting for the light to turn and i and i and i kind of lean down and i pull the veil back on the uh, on the stroller now have you ever seen a stephen king movie <laughs> out from this thing is this teeth and fur and ears and barking and bulging eyes and i'm thinking i almost wet my pants no joke <laughs> and this guy is laughing his head off cuz he saw the whole thing coming and he's like i wonder i'm like i wanted to ask you how many times have you actually done this to people I was so embarrassed. That takes a lot. I actually jaywalked across the street. (laughs) See, in order to combat our loneliness, we anthropomorphize our pets. We treat them as human friends. There is a reason why fur baby is a word. Your chihuahua cannot give you financial advice. I'd like to see you try. Your gerbil cannot confront you with your anger issues. If Proverbs is right, and friendship, a loyal, tactful friend, is one who sacrifices himself for another, then something that eats your couch and leaves a mess on the floor when you leave probably doesn't fit that category. Our pets do provide value. Do not hear me wrong on this. They provide great companionship. Do not hear me wrong. But pets, when it comes to friendship, they don't fit the category of a wise and true friend. Okay, rant over. The last Wilson we create is a difficult one as well, and it has to do with the realm of sexual intimacy. See, in our culture, wise and true friends are a bit like a unicorn, aren't they? They don't exist. So we, you know, as a good culture we are, we culturally we redefine what friendship looks like, and in the absence of wise and authentic friends, we foolishly redefine friendship with sexual intimacy. We think that a shared experience is the same as a loyal friend. The problem is that casual sexual intimacy is based on what I can get from the other, not how I can benefit the other. It's not what Proverbs describes as a true friend, the disadvantage of myself for the other. The trend that I'm seeing now in people that I talk to is the collecting of sexual partners, differing genders even, a plurality of partners, whether straight or same-sex. It's being used to fill the void meant for friendship. The fact that I see the rise of the what is called the ethical non-monogamy movement, the fact that I see that on a rise, tells me that I'm not far from the truth. Yeah, Google it, it's a real thing. C.S. Lewis describes this issue this way. He says, Those who cannot conceive friendship... As a substantial love, but only as a disguise or elaboration of eros, sexual intimacy, betray the fact that they've never had a friend. The rest of us know that we can have erotic love and friendship for the same person, yet in some ways nothing is less like a friendship than a love affair. Lovers are always talking to one another about their love. Friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face-to-face, absorbed in each other. Friends are side-by-side Absorbed in some common interest. The plurality of sexual partners and intimacy is no substitute for authentic friends. So whether it's social media, whether it's our pets, or whether it's our intimacy, we're still lonely because we settle for substitute friends. We're just like Tom Hanks. We're just like what he does with Wilson. Leads us to our final point. What do we do about it? How do we survive? How do we curate? How do we regrow friends? It's not like we have a petri dish and we can just plop new friend. Proverbs twelve twenty six says, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. Proverbs 24, 17 and 19 say, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Fret not yourself because of evildoers and be not envious of the wicked. Twenty five twenty one says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. 16.7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. The way to create, the way to foster, the way to grow friendship in Proverbs is to be and act righteous. In other words, the only way to have authentic friends is to disadvantage oneself to the advantage of others. So how is this even possible when we're in a culture and a people so mired in relational dysfunction? How can we do this when we're living in a forest of false friends? as a Radiohead song there. How do we be true and wise friends when we realize that we are the ones that disadvantage ourselves for the disadvantage of others? Turn with me to John chapter 15, starting in verse 12. Jesus, steeped in the wisdom of Proverbs, he gives us kind of a path to true friendship. And he says this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father, in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Myron and our loneliness in Vancouver in 2019, people, these this should be a symphony to our ears. Jesus is our neighbor. Jesus is our friend, not in a cheesy Mr. Rogers kind of way, but in a Proverbs sacrificial sort of way. God Himself, He actually sends His Son to earth, Jesus, and He dies the death that our betrayal, that our selfishness deserves, so that we can actually have a true friend. A true friend that we don't deserve. See, Jesus chooses us to be His friends. And he dies horribly to accomplish that. And that, on an ultimate level, fixes the friendship-loneliness problem. Jesus became wisdom. Jesus became righteousness, as described in Proverbs. And by his sacrificial death and resurrection, when we acknowledge that we are broken and inadequate, and we accept him, he fixes us on a personal level, our relational problems. He fixes our friendship and loneliness With those around us, he we become his friend. that, That still blows my mind. That act gives us a new heart, the power to live righteous lives as proverb demands. I'll say this another way: when we come to the end of ourselves, when we realize that we can't do this on our own, when we repent of making wilsons in our lives, we choose to allow Jesus to be our friend. He gives us a new spirit. A new heart to help us, to guide us, to live in us. Because of this change, Jesus is our friend. We can actually cast away all of these things that we build in this place. We can actually deal with this gaping hole in us. In Jesus, we can choose rescue over Wilson like Tom Hanks did. In Jesus, we find rescue. In him, we're satisfied. And through him, by his spirit, we actually have the capacity to make and to be authentic friends and to not be lonely. And stemming from that with Jesus as our friend, we have the power up. We actually have the power and the ability to advantage others at the disadvantage of ourselves, even our enemies. Now, lest you say, okay, yeah, that's great in theory. You've read too many textbooks. But does this actually work? Is Jesus really? Is he just my imaginary friend? Is Jesus just like another Wilson Can Jesus actually solve my loneliness? And can he actually repair my relationships? Let me ask you a question. Could you be friends with your worst enemy? My friend that I talked about earlier, the one who betrayed me most dearly, about a year and a half after I left that organization, he phones me. I saw his number and I was a little stressed about it and he asks if he could come over to my house and have coffee with me hesitantly i agree so he sits in my house he sits at the table he looks me in the eyes and he apologizes to me not only to me but both to Mariko and myself he apologized for all the hurt that he caused you see jesus was working on his heart And he was sitting there asking me, vulnerably asking me for forgiveness. He is no longer a former friend. He's a valued friend and one that I know has my back. But it actually gets better than that. Last fall, almost a year ago, 10 years after the events that I just described, my former boss phones me. I'm like, ooh, Greek number. One that I don't recognize. Did I remember to pay all the bills before I left? Anyway, here's this guy on the phone. And he apologizes to me for the way he treated me those years earlier. Let's just say, I no longer pray for the demise of that organization. (laughs) The only way that that happened, the only way is because Jesus... Worked on their heart. They were to open. They opened up and they asked for forgiveness. But but I also had to open up, and I had to willingly, vulnerably, willingly knowing that I could be betrayed. Jesus had to work on my heart so that we could actually embrace and become friends. It took both of us. It took all of us through Jesus to be reconciled with one another. Reconciliation does not happen any other way. A few weeks ago, uh, Mariko and I watched a movie. It was an interesting movie. It was based on a true story. It was about this American athlete who was a, was a runner. And he uh, went to World War II. He was a pilot, crashed the plane, ended up at a, a POW in a Japanese internment camp. And he was tortured. He was beaten. And he, he was broken, man. He comes back. And at the end of the story, it tells how he had reconciliation with all the people at the prison camp. And I was thinking to myself, in, throughout the movie, I think, this guy's got to be a Christian. He's got to be. And then at the end, when you know how in the end of a movie, when they show all the, you know, the actors against the real guys? And they show a picture of this guy. And below the, in the caption, it says, it was a caption of when he, this guy was at church. What they didn't tell, they sanitized it for Hollywood. But this guy radically got saved Radically surrendered his life to Jesus after the war. And he went back to Japan, sought out everybody, and forgave them. This is how important it is. So, yeah, Jesus, as my true friend, actually gives me the power to do the impossible, to love even your enemies. So, some of us here this afternoon, quite frankly, we need to repent. We've been looking for answers to our loneliness in places that are just not healthy. They're selfish and self-destructive. Now, other, others of us feel, you know, we have been good friends. And we've been giving sacrificially. And we've been giving and giving and giving. And you're finding yourself empty. You're just forgetting your source of where, where that comes from. You need to once again be reminded of Jesus as your friend. To be refilled. Now, others of us will walk out of here thinking, Oh, man, I've got to be a better friend. And you'll walk out thinking that, okay, what can I put into place? What can I do? How can I do this? And you think by your own merit, you can actually accomplish this. Let me tell you, it's only through Jesus that that gets solved. I've tried both scenarios and it doesn't work. So today, whether you're on the spectrum of relational burnout or in the doldrums of loneliness and despair, know that Jesus, if you let him, gives the capacity, the ability to thrive. He is to what Proverbs points to. He was betrayed by those closest to him. He first loved us when we were an enemy. And in an ultimate way, he disadvantaged himself dying to become our friend. Proverbs 18:24 says, "A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother." People, Jesus is that friend described in Proverbs. Close your eyes as we pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder of friendship, of how integral it is to not only our lives, but to to who you are in and of yourself. So thank you that you sent your Son to be our friend. Thank you. In your name I pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver,